Hi and welcome to another immunology series podcast from France Science Art and today is the second part in our cancer series where I'll be talking about how cancers manage to evade our immune system and how we have developed technologies to fight back. In the previous section, in the previous part, uh, I've literally just talked about the uh, immune responses to cancers and all the different mechanisms by which our immune systems fight cancer. However, we know that we get cancer, right? So clearly something's happening on the side of the immune response that um, is evading, that somehow our tumours can overcome all of this. So in this part, I'm going to talk about our evasion of our immune response by tumours. One of them can be the fact that the tumour itself can do something. So the tumour is a sneaky little thing that can essentially do things and evade any kind of response. And the other half of it is that maybe our immune system is frankly a little bit rubbish. So we can find that. Let's, let's, um, so we have anti-tumour um, immunity, as I've said, is normally our T-cell recognising specific tumour antigen. However, sometimes the tumours can evade this. Sometimes the tumours won't produce antigens and you get this antigen loss variant. And therefore, if there's no antigen, your T-cell simply, what's it going to be looking for? It's not looking for anything. Sometimes you find that you get mutations in your MHC genes or genes needing for antigen processing. Therefore, the tumour cell becomes MHC deficient. And again, your T-cell just won't see it. There's no MHC for it to latch onto. And then the other one, which I, I really don't like, this is, this is the one that upsets me the most, I think, is that the tumour itself can start to produce immunosuppressive proteins, it can produce cytokines that switch off and inhibit your T-cells. So actively going around, your T, your immune system is trying to work and it's being switched off by the tumour. How horrible. So there are many factors that can interfere with the recognition of your tumour cells uh, by T-cells. So let's have a look first of all at these tumour cells. So first up is that you don't produce um, an antigenic peptide or you downregulate your MHC. That's the first one, so that essentially your T cells can't see it. There's evidence of this where you can look at slides of um, different tumors, for example. And if you, can, for example, have a look at this, uh, there's a slide of a colorectal tumor. And normally, um, you can stain parts of your tissue with, for the MHC molecule, and it comes up as a lovely color brown. And so you expect every single one of the cells in your body to stain brown because it's expressing MHC1. However, if you take a slice of a colorectal tumour, uh, in this instance, uh, you find that where there is a tumour, there is no brown staining at all. All of the surrounding tissue, it's all gone brown, but the central bit, which has absolutely no MHC in it, uh, is not brown at all. And what this demonstrates is that the MHC has been downregulated in this tumour and it has become invisible to our immune system. The second one is that maybe there is a dysfunction of antigen presentation. Uh, so you don't produce co-stimulatory molecules. 
In order for your T-cell to become activated, it needs a signal from the T-cell receptor and also a signal from a co-stimulatory molecule. And if you don't have this, the T-cell doesn't become activated. Then maybe you find that you release uh, the tumors releasing immunosuppressive factors, things such as interleukin-10, TGF-beta, VEGF. These things switch off your immune system. Quite horribly, sometimes the tumor can adopt the mechanisms that our T-cells adopt. So how our, our T-cells adopt the fast ligand, fast thing, right? The tumors can do exactly the same. So they can counterattack. So they produce fast ligand that will bind to fast receptors on our immune cells and cause our immune cells to apoptose. How horrible. Sometimes they can cover or block tumor antigens on the surface of them. Or maybe they don't have very good death signaling. So when we do have fast ligand actually switched on in the tumor cell, it just doesn't work. And then if you ever wanted evidence that, that the tumor cells do the thing with the fast ligand, you find that they, <laughs> they actually secrete soluble fast ligand. So it's not even that the tumor needs to come into contact with the uh, T cells or any of the other cells. The tumor itself, uh, in this instance, uh, I'm describing a tumor from a melanoma. The tumor is actually secreting soluble fast ligand. So it's traveling in the blood and any nearby white blood cells, any nearby lymphocytes and other non-tumor cells, in fact, that happen to bind the fast ligand that, that's been secreted, they will all apoptose because their immune system is literally being, caspases are being activated and they are switching off. That's, part, that's the way the tumors behave. Now, sometimes our immune system just isn't working either. Maybe we have a degree of immune energy. So energy is kind of like the antithesis of energy. You're kind of like, oh, just so just not bothered or ignorance. And your immune system just isn't, isn't effectively activated by the tumor. Maybe the immune cells don't have uh, homing molecules or adhesions. So if your white blood cells can't actually stick to the tumor or, or work with it, it, it won't work. Sometimes your T cell receptors are dysfunctional. So therefore, they can't bind. Maybe you find that there is an inactivation of the T cells within the tumor that don't work. Maybe you have too many T regulatory cells and these T regulatory cells induce tolerance. And as I've said, just like in real life, if you have a degree of tolerance, you're really just not bothered or upset by stuff. And if you have a lot of T regulatory cells, these tend to just not be bothered or upset by the tumor. Uh, and they go and they start switching off all of your T cells. If we look at T regulatory cell concentration survival in ovarian carcinoma patients, you can find that for months after diagnosis, in those people, uh, if you look at death, they're called death curves, Kaplan-Meier uh, death curves. If you look at the proportion surviving, where one is everyone is surviving and zero is everyone's dead, nobody's surviving you find that those people who have the most steep trajectory to dying within 20 months after the diagnosis have really high levels of T regulatory cells. And those people who survive much, much long, longer, up to 80 months after diagnosis, uh, have incredibly low levels of T regulatory cells. And that means that their T, they, their T cells are really not tolerant and they're quite antsy and they're kind of belligerent and they go around fighting everything. And these people have uh, a longer survival 
uh, from ovarian cancer in this instance, in this particular paper. So in these instances, these very good examples of very aggressive tumours, uh, we're getting sneaky tumours and also our immune system, which is just kind of, you know, very not bothered together. This is the reason why we're still fighting cancer. So ideally what we want is that the, you are aware that there are lots of different types of therapies. You can have immunotherapy, radio, you can have radiotherapy, chemotherapy. Immunotherapy is slightly different. And what immunotherapy is, is a type of treatment that stimulates your immune system to fight cancers. And immunotherapies are used to either fight cancer or to control side effects from other cancer treatments. In, in terms of immunotherapy, I do think it's worth an honourable mention to the 2018 Nobel Prize winning um, discovery of something of the involvement of something called programmed death ligand in tumour biology. And the fact is, is that tumours can use this as a mechanism for switching on degrees of T cell tolerance or switching off your T cell mechanisms. Therefore, if we know that tumours can work through this sort of pathway, um, we can devise immunotherapies to kind of circumnavigate. If we know how tumours are behaving and what they're doing that's wrong, we can then address that. And so the prize in 2018 in physiology and medicine went to James Allison and Takusu Honjo, and it essentially revolutionised uh, cancer therapy. I'm going to talk about other cancer immunotherapies um, based on having found it quite fascinating and, and creating a kind of a vaccine for uh, a specific idea that what you, you may could do have. Is that you could create a vaccination with tumour antigens. So if you had a tumour, you could get part of that tumour, get the antigen to that tumour and then create a vaccine against it. You could potentially augment your host immunity so you could actually get your immune system to actually ramp up a little bit and kind of, you know, in you go and fight the tumours much, much more effectively. You could passively give uh, immunotherapy. So that means I'll just give you a whole load of T cells and antibodies against the tumour. So that would be a nice way. So immunotherapy really means where we're trying to use the equipment that your immune system has in order to fight the cancer. So rather than just give chemicals that delete all dividing cells, which is what a lot of chemotherapies and radiotherapies do, just kill everything, divide them, which is why your hair falls out. What you find with immunotherapy is that what we're trying to do is to utilise the set of tools that our immune system gives us, antibodies, T-cells, which are, which are pretty good actually at fighting things and, and getting them to work a bit better or to work with it. Now, the potential benefits of cancer vaccines are numerous because not only can they be preventative against virus-associated cancers like uh, human papillomavirus or Epstein-Barr virus, they create minimal side effects, they use your own body's defence mechanisms, and they are an alternative to chemotherapy, or they might enhance the efficacy of standard chemotherapy. The problem is there are a few side effects, as there is with all uh, drugs to cancer vaccines. The side effects tend to be milder than chemotherapy, and they tend to be associated with the normal things you get with cold or flu, so fever, headache, nausea, 
um, you can sometimes get redness, itching or sores around the injection site. And also you could find that the immune system could potentially attack normal cells as well as cancerous cells. So the reaction could include signs of an inflammatory response, such as fever, muscle and joint aches. So very much like when you get, you know, you know, when you have your jabs and you, you get a really sore arm like that. However, if the reactions against normal tissues, it can actually lead to autoimmune disorders. So there's a whole plethora of things that could potentially go wrong. And we have to mitigate for this when designing vaccines, which is why vaccines aren't just rolled out willy nilly. Um, a lot of work goes into making them safe because we do operate on the precautionary principle that even with a theoretical principle of harm, we cannot give something to somebody. It's just not allowed. So how is it that we would create a tumour vaccine? How would you do that exactly? Well, let's say you have uh, a dendritic cell. I took one of your, say you, say you were unfortunate and you, you had a, a cancer and I took some of your dendritic cells and what I wanted them to do is to actually get on with it. And could you just present some antigens to a T cell? So what I do is I take your dendritic cells out and I would either pulse them. So get the tumor antigens uh, into them somehow. So into their cytosol, you know, or I can transfect them. So I can take a bacterial uh, plasmid and put the gene for the tumor in there. Uh, so it's transfected with a plasmid that will then express the tumor antigen. So you will have expression of these tumor antigens inside your dendritic cell. You then vaccinate a person with that tumor antigen presenting dendritic cell. So the dendritic cell, which has now got a whole load of tumor antigens inside them, they're not going to do anything. They're just tumor antigens. I put them back into your body and these uh, dendritic cells will be expressing on their MHC1 uh, loads and loads of tumor antigens. So that way, when they go up into the lymph node, they can find T cells, T cell receptors that will bind to them and they can cause their activation. So you will get then activation of tumor specific T cells. These tumor specific T cells can then leave the lymph and then circulate all around your body and target any cell, any one cell, one tiny, tiny cell that expresses that tumor antigens. And so you have autologous dendritic cells prepared from your own peripheral blood cells, uh, transfect them with either genes that uh, express the protein or genes that are used for diagnosis. Now, the construct may also express uh, co-stimulatory molecules, but ultimately it leads to the activation of tumor-specific T cells. And this idea of removing immune cells from a patient's body, genetically engineering them to attack cancerous cells and then putting them back in the body was very uh, effectively done a few years back um, at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And there was a little girl called Lila who was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. She was three months old. And this is a disease where you have cancerous stem cells in the bone marrow and they release vast numbers of immature immune cells into the blood. She started chemotherapy. She then had a bone marrow transplant to restore her immune system. Now, even following chemotherapy, cancerous cells were still detectable. And this poor little love had lost all her hair. And despite this, it was decided she was very, very sick. It was decided to go ahead with a bone marrow transplant. And this also failed. Then a doctor called Kwasim Wakim used gene editing to disable a gene in the donor cells 
that makes a receptor that recognises other cells as foreign. So what he did was he added new genes to donor T cells, which would then make those T cells uh, that basically arm them against leukaemia. And what they did was they used molecular tools that looked like little scissors that could take genes out and cut them and make the T cells behave in two specific ways. So the first thing they did to these T cells is that the cells uh, became invisible to a power leukemic drug that would usually kill them so that they, wouldn't, they could give the leukemic drug. And then they were programmed to target and fight against leukemia cells. So that's the way that they altered these cells. So it was a very, very lovely, and, and this, this lovely little girl, she's still alive. And it was reported uh, in 2015. It's just amazing. So they made the T cells so that they wouldn't be susceptible to the very powerful drugs that they were giving and also made them able to target leukemia cells. It's amazing. So immunotherapy, it can work, it does work. And it is, and it, in that instance, it was given because there were, there were no other options. And her parents were very, very brave in sort of opting and, and putting her forward uh, to essentially um, trial this sort of method. So that's everything that I've got to teach you about cancer and immunotherapies and the future of how we're going to treat cancers. Obviously, there's a lot more detail to be found elsewhere. And these, as all lectures, are really there to give you an overview of how things work. Again, I really want to iterate that this podcast is not here to provide you with medical advice. It's really just for informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for professional medical advice, for diagnosis or treatment. Goodness me, heaven forbid. Never ignore professional medical advice in seeking treatment because of something you've listened to here in my Fran Science Art podcasts. If you think you've got a medical emergency, if you need help, go and call your doctor uh, and go and see your GP. Okay, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.